glasses, Mary. I think I look over there. Greg, would you look at see if my glasses back there? I don't need them. I don't think. Good morning. So we are having a Q&A this morning. Thank you so much. You don't want to be blind leaders of the blind. Whoa. And by the way, uh, what happened with my head this morning is that I set a shorter shaving for my beard than I do for my head. And I had trimmed my beard a little bit ago. And then I forgot, and so I, I, I went to cut my hair this morning, and it's like, one stripe, like, uh-oh. So, nice and shiny. I love it. Feel a cool drap. So I was going to uh, start by setting up, you know, just talking a little bit, of doing a review of, of the series. But Sean did such a great job at reviewing the series uh, last week that I don't think I should repeat that. Uh, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to, to, to get that message. But I'll just say that we've covered a lot of ground on friendship. Everything you've ever wanted to know about friendship, but we're too confused to ask. And um, that's raised uh, a lot of questions. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with here uh, this morning, some of the questions that arise out of this. And with that, I will... T- well, I got to introduce the panel here. I forget that was also part of my job. So <laughs> panelist number one, uh, you already know her. She, is, she has the gift of, of, of making people feel welcome and warm and loved and family. And she preaches... Well, you heard her uh, last week. Uh, panelist number one was Shauna Barn. Give it up for Shauna. Our second panelist is uh, adorably quirky, kind of geeky, but certainly brilliant. And she also just did an outstanding, outstanding message two weeks ago. Give it up for Emily Morrison. And last, and also the least, uh, is my covenant bro for 33 years. Um, we've been going at this for 33 years. And you need to know up front that Paul and I, insulting and bantering is our love language. Uh, it's just, you know, we're, we're not man enough to say, I love you, just straight. We have to, like, do it through uh, abusive language. So, <laughs> and it occurs to me that, you know, so we've been friends 33 years, and this is kind of an anniversary of sorts, because uh, now the duration of our friendship is caught up with your IQ. And so this is outstanding. <laughs> uh, I'm just giving you an example of that. No, but, uh, so give it up for Paul Eddy. <laughs> I turn it over to my esteemed colleague, Shauna. And Greg is here as well. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for tuning in for all the weeks. And you guys are always so great with like sending in questions to us. Even before we ask for them, I feel like we get so much yeah. feedback from you guys. So thank you. And we have curated um, ones that we felt like we wanted to talk about more, ones that came in several times. And so that's what we're doing today. But first, we have talked so much this morning already about our amazing in-house congregation, but also our online podrigation, and podrishioners have been mentioned, and I just want to say my heart is so happy today because we've got podrishioners in the house like crazy today, and so we've got folks here from Seattle and from Oklahoma and from Oregon, and it is so cool, so so amazing, and so um, one of the things that I get to do is um, engage with folks online through Cultivate Classes and Gathering Groups, and so some of these folks are from both of those venues. And so it is so cool that they, on vacation time and on purpose, come here to engage (laughs) with one another and with our Woodland Hills in-house community. So welcome. We're so thankful. All right. Friendship. Greg, you kicked us off kind of in the beginning on the front end of the series by talking about friendship with God. 
And for so many, that was a really powerful, beautiful uh, picture of what our relationship with God can be like. Mm -hmm. But we did get questions in about, wait a second, you're saying friendship with God, but there are a lot of scriptures that still talk about being a servant. And so what is it? Which scripture wins out? Are we a friend of God or are we still a servant of God? Well, you know, uh, with the coming of Christ and the revelation of God that he brings, a lot of old concepts are infused with new meaning. Um, For example, uh, you find in the New Testament warfare language, uh, just like you do in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's really made clear in the light of the revelation of God in Christ that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, against other humans, but against principalities and powers. So we're still called soldiers. We're, it, it, there's military metaphors used and, and all of that. But it has a totally different meaning because of the, the difference that Christ makes. The same thing is true of servants. Uh, we, we're servants. We're called to serve. But um, what Jesus is saying is don't serve with a servile mentality or servant mindset. I call you friends. There's service to do, but this shouldn't come out of fear. It should come out of the fullness of the friendship that we have with God and the love that he pours in our heart towards other people. So we're servants, but with a radically different kind of posture, a radically different motivation. Uh, it's, it's, it's infused with a totally different meaning. The word friend isn't applied very much to believers in the New Testament, but the concept is found all over the place, and it's enfolded in other things. There's a ton of things that the New Testament says about us that no one would ever say about servants in the ancient world. Um, I mean, we're called the bride of Christ. We're the beloved of God. God lavishes his love upon us. He lavishes blessings on us. Uh, we're his co-partners, we're his co-workers, um, and we're the, the, the lost coin and the, the lost sheep that he goes after. These are things that would never be said about servants in the ancient world, but they all, they all involve kind of an intimate relationship, they all involve friendship. And so uh, I think the friendship piece, this intimacy with God, is an is, uh, extremely important concept throughout the entire New Testament. Amen. Amen. And two, I think we serve out of love. We don't serve right. out of fear or like, oh, Master's going to be mad. No, we serve because of his love exactly. for us and our love for him. And so I think that's everything. Really powerful. Everything, you know, Paul says, we're compelled by the love of Christ. That, that should be the motivation for everything we do. Not shame, not fear, mm-hmm. love. Amen, love. All right, so Emily, you gave us some doozies when you spoke to us, which were so good. But you, um, a little bit, and then some on the newscast, were talking about intimacy. And for so many, when we hear intimacy, we've thought, well, that means being intimate, like sexual intimacy. But you were kind of presenting a different viewpoint of intimacy and what it can truly be for those of us who are not intimate. <laughs> with one another. And so I'm wanting to know if you can unpack that a little bit for us when you talked about f- intimacy within friendships and spiritual friendships. Right. I'm, I'm wanting to expand the definition of, I want to be able to use the word intimate with someone <laughs> outside of the box that we have yeah. for it right now. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I was used to always hearing intimacy in the context of sexuality. And what I've learned um, recently and Paul, I got to give credit to Paul for this. Paul gave me some really a good, a good a trio of concepts that helps define what intimacy is. And an intimate relationship involves time, it involves vulnerability, and it involves commitment. And so that obviously doesn't have to happen within a sexual relationship. Uh, you have your friends who you give a good deal of time to. I was thinking about how 
Sometimes when I'm on an airplane with someone, I've flown a lot, and after you know, three hours on a flight with someone, you feel like you're kind of, feel like I kind of know you. Uh, but imagine if you were <laughs> taking a boat across the ocean for a few weeks, you know, that, that time, that intensity yeah. builds up way, way more. And so the more time you have with someone, the more you're able to develop intimacy with them. But you can spend, I spend a lot of time with my coworkers. I spend a lot of time driving with, in my car, but that doesn't mean that I'm intimate with the people that I'm communi- commuting with. Um, and so I think that the other component is being, being vulnerable. And uh, I heard vulnerability expressed in a, in a really interesting way one time, that when you're vulnerable, you're giving someone else the gift of going second. Mm-hmm. And so when you open up yourself and say, this is who I am, this is exposing me, then that enables the other person in return to say, oh, this is who I am. This is an exposure of, of myself and my heart. And that builds a bond and a unity that you have. Um, and then the, the third component for intimacy being commitment, that you're, you're in it with each other, that you are committed, that you're intentional, that you are not going anywhere with this. And so those three things, if you bring them into friendship, you have an intimate friendship, and we can find intimacy with each other through, through friendship, through these deep friendships that bring together a, a commitment and a time and vulnerability. So thank you, Paul, for those three, three pieces. One of the ways I thought about it is it, with intimacy, it's, it's into me, see. So you, you open it up and look into me. And it, see, it strikes me that that's, this is what God does with us in Jesus Christ, and especially Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. Uh, the cross is God saying, here's who I truly am. Uh, we're looking into the very heart of God when, when, when we're looking at Christ. And, and it has all the components of intimacy. He took the time uh, to become a human being and go to the cross. And then he unveils his true nature to us. And he, he unveils his commitment to working with us to bring about our salvation, the salvation of the world. And so that's the paradigm for, you know, that's what God does with us, and that's therefore what we should be towards one another. It's going to be interesting to try to have that mind shift for folks when we're talking about intimacy. And and do you think, Emily, this is a follow-up, do you think that that's important for us to really begin to shift the way we think about that term, intimacy, in in regards to relating one another in our friendships and spiritual friendships? Yeah, absolutely. There does have to be a mind shift because otherwise we're missing out on a whole layer of, of friendships that are and relationships that are open to us. We're leaving, we're cutting that out of our lives and we're getting this little tiny window of friendships or relationships that we can have. And so when we shift our view of intimacy, when we think of it in a different way, we're opening ourselves up to such beautiful relationships. The world opens up to us. And so I think it's hard and it's tricky because we're not used to thinking about things that way, but it's totally worth it. Um, the blessings that come from seeking intimacy in a, in a new way. Amen. Well, it seems to me, too, that uh, testing, is this working? Yep. seems to me, too, that um, shifting that, that understanding of intimacy not only opens up our ability for friendships and other relationships to be perceived as intimate, it also helps us see that the sexual relationship can be, ha- can be in a context where there's no intimacy whatsoever. Mm. Uh, one can have a sexual relationship without much time given to it, without any vulnerability, and without any commitment. And so to recapture intimacy is going to help us like 360 degrees in, in all of our relationships. Nice. Yeah. 
one of the things that we haven't had time, I know we've been like doing this for five weeks now, but there's still stuff that we haven't gotten to because there's only so much time. And one of those things are our different personalities and how we're wired and how and what we bring to those friendships because of how we're wired. And so Paul, I'm gonna throw this question to you and this is about the, the alpha personality. So mm. that can be more dominant and just um, some, some would experience that in, in friendship as controlling and just more forthright. And so when um, there is a beta personality, they sometimes can feel like they are unheard or you know there's not a space for them because the alpha is dominating so much. And so I am hoping with all of your wisdom that you can kind of help us with that a little bit. Like can an alpha and a beta type enter into friendship mm. together and it be meaningful and, and beneficial to both? Oh, I love this question because it, uh, it raises the question that I, I don't think we often ask, whether it's in friendships or marriages or almost any relational context, what happens when my personality type, and, and we're not talking about character here, uh, we're talking about personality, kind of a hardwired dimension of you that probably isn't going to change that much. What happens when my personality type comes into relationship with another personality type what are the inevitable blessings to that and challenges to that, right? And I, I don't know that we often ask that question. Uh, sort of this, this theme in our culture that, you know, we should just be loved for who we are. And of course, Jesus says precisely that. We're to love others for who they are. But as someone's loving me for who I am, I should reciprocally be asking the question, what does it look like as they're loving me for who I am? What does it look like for me to be me lovingly back? Right? In other words, um, what part, if I'm in a particular relationship, and let's take a uh, sort of a type A, type B friendship, right? Um, and I, I can make this very personal because I happen to be a very high I on the Myers-Briggs. So I'm not type A. <laughs> I'm about as type B, I guess, as you can get. Uh, and I, for example, I have a, a good friend, Paul, who's, who's pretty high type A, I would say. And we've had a 40-year friendship. I think we've both have, have had to learn what that means. Um, uh, I've had to learn what it means to speak more often than I'm naturally inclined to do because I'm really comfortable sitting back and listening to folks. Um, and Paul has had to learn to make space to ask me questions and, and bring me out of myself. And uh, so I think this, this dynamic that all of, our, all of our personality types have gifts and have challenges, that's just part of being human. Every relationship I'm in, I have to ask the question, what does it look like for me to bring myself to this relationship as a blessing and not just as sort of overwhelm so I get my needs met? And I think that's a, an under-asked question, but one that we can diplomatically and lovingly ask any relationship we're in. And don't you think too, Paul, that like in order to be able to do that in that space, we have to recognize who we are. Absolutely. <laughs> right. We're wired. Take the Myers-Briggs, right? <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's interesting because we will take some of those things. Well, couples will go to couples counseling mm -hmm. and they'll learn about their personalities and how they interact with each other and that can change their marital yes. relationship. But like, imagine going to kind of counseling with a friend, sort of. Like, what if you brought that same attitude of how do our personalities line up? Yes. I think that would be an interesting way to approach friendship. I'm sensing another revenue stream for you, Emily. <laughs> you could provide friendship, friendship counseling. counseling. <laughs> 
one of the things that we have acknowledged several times throughout the series was that this isn't most likely going to just always come naturally or easily. There are things that we have to work through, and there is time. Emily, you just said it too, and, and, and being intimate with one another. There is time that has to be given. And But we also talked about how busy we all are and how full our schedules are. And so one of the questions that I've gotten a lot, and we've gotten um, on the newscast and, and the info um, desk here, is, is what do you do about that time piece? Like, what if you really truly are busy, you do want to invest in friendships and spiritual friendships, but you just are super busy with other really important things. What are your options? What are our options? And I wish I could say, oh, um, go to Emily and she'll give you the answers <laughs> or, you know, read this, read this book or follow these three steps. But really, in all honesty, um, this is something that I think each of us have to sit before the Lord with. And, and just take a look at our lives and our priorities and when, where we are investing and spending our time and then see if there are spaces in which we can open up for investing in other people and investing in these friendships that we're talking about that are so important because they are necessary and needed for our health and our, and our growth, um, our spiritual growth, our emotional growth. And so honestly, it does mean honestly taking a look at where you are investing your time and what you can maybe do less of so that you do have time and space to engage with others in meaningful ways. It's not always going to be fun, but honestly, it's a necessity if we really want to do yeah. what, we're, what we've been talking about and if we really value it the way that we say that we do. Any thoughts on yeah, that? I, I read a, a piece several years ago that uh, made, made the case that, that Americans actually have far more leisure time than they think. In fact, far more leisure time than, than most other countries or most people throughout history. It's just that our leisure even feels busy. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and that Americans tend to group uh, their important leisure stuff under the category of necessities. And so we, we don't feel like we have much time, but actually in terms of discretionary time, things that we're not required to, we have quite a bit. It's just that the three best movies that we watch are, are among those, and it's the book we got to read, and the numerous friendships or acquaintances that we try to maintain. And that's another thing I think is so important. There, there is, I think, an inescapable equation we're all bound to this, between, uh, when it comes to friendships and a lot of things in life, between quality on the one hand and quantity on the other. And, and, and they, they have an inverse relationship. Uh, the more you're shooting for quality in friendships, the more you're going to have to lessen the quantity. Mm -hmm. The more that you're trying to maintain a large quantity, you're going to sacrifice the quality. Mm -hmm. But as ancients have always understood, going back to Aristotle, and this is part of the whole Christian tradition, it's the quality relationships that most form us and, and that we need if we're going to become our best selves. Mm -hmm. And that's why Aristotle said that the person who has, is a friend to all is really a friend to none. Mm -hmm. If you're getting all quantity, you're not going to be going deep with anybody. Yeah. And so some, those quantity relationships maybe are things that are you know, gratifying in some ways, but at some point you're going to have to make a choice because uh, the quality is what's all important. Well, yeah, and, and if the quality is important, then we need to choose to invest our time it's in absolutely. that place. And that may mean putting some other things aside. I have a friend who is so great at incorporating people into part of the everyday business of her life. And so, and it's, and it's valuable and it's meaningful, but instead of saying, I'm not going to do this, like, you know, exercise or be healthy for myself. Um, I'm going to forsake friendships for that. She tries to combine the two as much as possible. And that's just an interesting thing. I think the cool thing is, is that we serve a God who is empowered with, with the Holy Spirit, who can give us wisdom. If mm. we honestly sit before him and look at where we're spending our time yes. 
and what we invest in and how he can shift that for us. Good. So I know everyone here wants to talk about conflict. Oh, yeah. That's the meaty juice of it all. Ew, that sounds gross. Bring it on. <laughs> meaty juice. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to prevent conflict. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we placed Emily Boys. in between Greg and Paul intentionally. <laughs> But we, we talked about conflict a little bit, and if we're going to talk about friendships and even spiritual friendships amongst kingdom people, there are going to be times when we rub one another wrong or conflict arises. And so there have been a lot of questions about how to deal with that. But also, what if you're not on the same page in regards to dealing with the conflict? Is there ever a time when it's just time to walk away from one another? As kingdom people, are we afforded that luxury, that, that choice to walk away and not work through conflict. Absolutely. I've been thinking about dumping Paul for about a year now. He, he just won't <laughs> profess his love for me. I, just, no, I would never do that. I, you know, um, first one, I address this, that uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has had someone walk away from them. Yeah. Uh, you thought the relationship was here, and, and you had this, and you thought it was quality, and the person all decides, no, I think I found something better, they move on or whatever, and you feel betrayed. Yeah. Uh, and that can be really wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible that a person who has had someone walk away, didn't, wouldn't work through maybe even a minor issue, uh, they just decide to leave, uh, a person can, if you're not careful, come to the conclusion that it's just not worth it. I, I, I don't want to be hurt like that again. Why would I, lay my, why would I say into me see when I got burned on that one? But it's so important that we don't come to that conclusion. Uh, especially as kingdom people, we know that no person is an island. We need these relationships. And so if, if, if you've been hurt by uh, being betrayed, it could be a spouse or it could be just a spiritual friend or any kind of friend, uh, there's a time to lament that, just mourn that, and that's appropriate. But at some point, you need to invite your best friend, Jesus, into that wound and into that void, that space that's there, and... and and let the Lord begin to bring about healing in your life, restoration, so you can get to the point where you can finally trust again. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you're strong enough to do it. There's always an element of risk. Let's, we have to name that. It, it, love is risky for God. It's going to be risky for us. Uh, that's, just, that, that's just part of the game. And, and hopefully we have our life from Christ solid enough so that when, if and when, we hope it never happens, but if you are betrayed, you survive it because your identity wasn't in that. Your identity is found in, in, in Christ alone. But now on the question of, of, is it ever appropriate for us to decide to walk away? Um, I think it depends on a yeah. whole lot of other things. Uh, you know, the duration of the, 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 the friendship and what, 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 what's the size or the nature, the magnitude of the conflict? What are you dealing with? So, you know, if you're in a relationship and uh, one person just thinks the other person is too into fructose and it's, it's hell, you know, they're a little overweight and it's not good for their health, you know, maybe you want to let that one slide for a while. It, it, that shouldn't be a deal breaker. In fact, in all these relationships, there's, there's things you accommodate. We accommodate each other's perfections, imperfections. And you can't shoot at everything at right. once, right? God doesn't shoot at everything at once. He meets us where we're at to gently, lovingly move us forward. And, and it's only in those kind of intimate relationships that you have the wisdom to know that. Like, what is important, what's not important? Uh, what are they ready to let go of? What, what are they not? You know, and, and things of that sort. So fructose, let it slide for a while. But if you're dealing with a, a friend and they're cheating on their spouse, and asking you to help keep it concealed, um, well, that's a different story. Uh, now you have to be part of the secret. And, and I mean, that would, so that has to be confronted. Um, and that is a potential deal breaker. 
Even here, however, I wouldn't be too quick to bail. You know, stay, you're the influence in there and, 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 and keep on trying to influence using whatever leverage you have to move in that direction. And Jesus tells us, Matthew 18, that, that if, if, if you going one-on-one -on -one with a person doesn't uh, get them to change their offensive behavior, now bring two, two others that they know, that you know, and, and do a, a, a bigger intervention. And if that doesn't work, then you bring it before the whole church. And when, they, when Jesus says church, he's not thinking of a mega church. He's thinking of an intimate group of 10, maybe 20 people who are, are doing community together. And um, that hopefully would, would, would bring the person to the realization. And if that doesn't work, then Jesus says, well, you have to consider them to be a heathen. Which doesn't mean you hate them. You, know, you love heathens. But you're just saying, by your actions, you're declaring that you don't want to be walking in the way of Jesus, which is what we are doing. And, and so you're, you're not one of us in that. And that's, that, that's tragic, but it, it, it can happen. So ideally in the kingdom, when you have to make a decision whether you're going to walk away or not, you're not making that decision alone. Uh, you walk away and you have the support of your, a community around you that's saying this was tragic, but it's, it was the only way to go about this. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's good really word. good. Paul and or Emily, I would love to give you an opportunity to respond to this one as well. I'm, I'm conflict avoidant, so... Uh, <laughs> Good Minnesota. <laughs> I dare to disagree with me. <laughs> I, I do remember the first time I learned how important it was to do conflict in relationships, and this was when I was in my very early 20s. I moved in with uh, three women from my church, and they were all therapists, because God was oh, like, great. you don't need just one therapist, you need, you need three therapists. <laughs> And I remember living with them and watching them do life together, and I was blown away that they just brought up things that were getting in the way of each other's friendships. They would say, you know, like, you know, I'm really having a hard time with you when this is happening, and then they'd talk about it, and I was like, are we allowed to, are we allowed <laughs> to say these kind of things? Like, can I actually, like, if I have a problem with you, am I supposed to bring it out and address it? And it was so wonderful and so healing because they just modeled for me, like, they were really good close friends, had been for many years, and they showed me that part of the strength of their friendship came from the fact that they weren't scared to say, this is a problem, let's address it now before it gets out of control. So um, I don't enjoy conflict, I don't think anybody does, but it was a powerful, it's set a powerful lesson for me in friendships are I strong. like it a little bit. <laughs> you run toward it. Let's go, let's go. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Paul, anything to uh, add? You know, just that if it does come to the point where it seems that, that this might be a parting of the ways, I, I do think, you know, we can see instances where that, that is unfortunately the path of, of sometimes love and wisdom, but we have to really be careful there that we don't confuse forgiveness yeah. on one hand with reconciliation on the other. It might not be possible for a relationship to be reconciled. That always takes two. Mm-hmm. And you might not be in a perspective where you, you, your heart's open, but this other person is just not interested, and one has to let that go. But, but forgiveness is never an option. If we don't forgive, we're, what we're really doing is holding on to now this peace that actually begins to fester our relationship with God, with ourself, and with other folks beyond this relationship. So it's one thing to say, I don't think this relationship is salvaged, because it doesn't seem like there's two people here who are willing to work out. But for me to always make sure if that's happening, I am releasing that person in terms of bitterness, resentment, or any sort of they owe me something. Otherwise, you know, that starts polluting uh, right back to Jesus and I, mm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. I think that goes along with that verse that says, as far as it depends yes. on 
Yeah, you. that's good. Mm -hmm. yes. Live at peace. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so let's just swing the pendulum a little bit, well, all the way over to the other direction. I am a big proponent of talking about our personal experiences and how God has shown up and done great things in regards to spiritual friendship. So we've talked right a little bit right there about how to address and work through hopefully conflict, but now let's go to the blessing of spiritual friendship. And so I thought it would be great if people heard from us um, some of our experiences. And, and just because we're in a spiritual friendship doesn't mean it's all rosy, right? Like even within that, there could be some friction that we need to work through. But overall, the growth and the blessing is amazing. So I want you guys to think through. I'm going to give you guys a minute to think through that. And I will start just by saying I have been blessed with, with friendships that were quality, that were deep, that were encouraging, um, and with other believers, and I'm talking mainly with, about women here, uh, with other believers. But even beyond that, I've, I'm thinking of two in particular. I've had um, friendships in my life that are really spiritual friendships. And what has that meant for me is that when I am going about my life, when I've been living life and I've come up against things, I know that I have, um, I have these women that I can process things with and talk through things with. And in many spaces and many times, it's as if Jesus himself is sitting there uh, uh, with me as I'm um, dialoguing with these women because I know their heart for the Father and their heart for me. And so it is as if um, they are a conduit of Jesus's love and wisdom. Many times it's um, also been uh, a holding up of a mirror to me to say, Shauna, this is what this is what you're projecting out. Is this what you mean to be projecting out? And so there's been an accountability sense. And I know that can seem like a bad word, but it, it's not when done in love with trust and understanding of one another um, that I have really grown. And so in the depths of despair in my life, I have had these women to uh, pray with me and to talk through things with me. And in the joys and the highs, I've had these women to celebrate and encourage and, and, and be with me, but also to challenge me when I needed to be challenged. And I feel like that has just been such a gift. And I don't feel like I could fully know who, um, Jesus is without these people, these physical people in my life revealing aspects of himself to me. And that has just been such a beautiful gift. Frustrating at times because when someone is holding up a mirror to you, sometimes you don't like what you see back and you just want to be like, no, I don't want to see it. But it's been so necessary. Yeah. Don't. You go next. <laughs> <laughs> I vote Emily next. <laughs> Ladies, uh, I was thinking about my very first ever spiritual friend, and this was when I was in high school, um, my friend Jules. Um, I had been praying for more support in my life and felt like uh, maybe a way that I can do this is by meeting with someone and maybe we could pray together or something like that. So I approached her and the only time that we could both do it was six in the morning. Um, once a week we did it, and I'm a morning person and Jules isn't, and so uh, sometimes she wouldn't, <laughs> she wouldn't make it to our little spot outside where we had like a picnic blanket. So I'd go over to her house and go inside her room and be like, hey Jules, are we meeting this morning? <laughs> it's like, nice. oh, hang on, hang on. <laughs> uh, but through that friendship, that was a, a time I realized that it, it moved me from thinking of friends as people who I just had fun with, who I just enjoyed, to someone who is going to be there for me through very difficult things. And that 
being able to meet with Jules every week through high school was something I counted on and relied on. And I especially appreciated that we don't see things the same way. And so um, she really sharpened me. So I, th- I think the blessing of spiritual friendship for me was discovering that it's a thing, first of all, like how transformative that was, but also seeing the uh, everyday practical, that, that someone was walking with me through everyday life, but bringing Jesus into that. Mm-hmm. Bringing Jesus into, you know, in high school, it's your exams and your, uh, those kinds of things. But um, having someone who sees the world differently, who lo- but loves Jesus and can walk with you, it was just, she was the first one, but it opened up this world of possibility. So when you say spiritual friendship, I'm like, oh, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jules. Yeah, I think when I think about my life of spiritual friendships, I realized that I probably had some of those things before I even like, knew what the word was, right? Uh, I, I talk about people holding mirrors up for you that it's not easy, but that we need. And I think, you know, uh, I, I'm blessed to have my wife, Kelly, who isn't just a spouse, but has, has held mirror, a mirror up to me. Thank you, honey. Um, and it's been hard to look at what, I, what I've seen. I, I realize now I brought some, some very dysfunctional patterns of conflict into my marriage because of some things I developed pre-Christian of how to deal with hurt. And uh, Kelly has not just been my spouse, but my friend mm. in helping me, giving me the space to walk through and learn different ways of doing that. Um, I have two friends from, from, happened to be 1981, I met both of them back in my early 20s, Bob and Paul, and in different ways, um, they have both, through the 40 years of friendship, they have uh, brought pieces of pulling me back to kingdom orientation, uh, raising questions about what it means to, to be a Christian and, and to walk the ways of Jesus that have been super helpful to me. And, um, more recently, my friend Charlie Swanson, who's our, our amazing communications director here, he and I have had a season of spiritual friendship around some challenges just we've been going through in life, and we've supported each other. But I would be remiss to speak about spiritual friendship <laughs> and not look to my left and <laughs> Emily is <laughs> <laughs> and, and talk about this this this, uh, this gift. Uh, and curse, but gift more than curse. Uh, of knowing knowing this, this man, Greg, for, yeah, 33 years. It was uh, February of 88 we met in a, in a parking lot in, in a seminary parking lot. And uh, our first interaction was an hour-long argument. It's been that way ever since. And it has been that way ever since. So I'd like to note, I did win the argument, and he will admit it if he's honest. But, uh, but that led to... A, I, I, dude, I remember... 1992, uh, we went to our first conference together in, in, in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. And we didn't know each other that well yet, but you were going to bed, and all of a sudden you asked me this question, and it was like super inappropriate, <laughs> like super in my business. <laughs> and it started me down a path of vulnerability with you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, because you've become uh, one of those persons who I know I could bring anything to. And, and that, I don't know many staff pastors who can say of a senior pastor that one of the first people they would bring anything to if their life was falling apart would be the person that is technically their boss. But that's the level of trust that, that you have offered me as a friend and a pastor. Me and more. Yeah. And uh, um, 
Greg one other evening asked me a question that also changed my life, and he said, he said, first, how are you doing with God, which is a common thing. We, and I said, okay, but he didn't let it go there, and he said, no, seriously, how are you doing? He said, close your eyes, and he led me in an exercise to help me see the picture of God that I had in my head. And I hadn't, I was just 40 years old, I was a theology pro, and I did not know that my picture of God was of a, basically, a, a disappointed old man up on a throne in heaven somewhere. And Greg revealed to me this idol that I had been thinking was the true God, not the beautiful face of Jesus. And to that, that was 60, that was 22 years ago. And that was a gift that I, to this day, cherish. Um, have there been challenges? Yes. Greg is very <laughs> difficult to be a friend. Um, but but we've, worked, we've worked through some stuff together, We've through some big stuff. 2014, it came very close to... Our friendship oh, we was tested with a serious disagreement, but, but we hugged it out. We did. Your love to me is greater than the love of women. He finally says it. <laughs> <laughs> finally. <laughs> now it's official. Honey, See, we, that doesn't mean you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, since you started off by talking about your wife as your best friend, I... I I would be remiss if I didn't do that as well. <laughs> Honey, I love you. Uh, no, I, I, I'm so blessed to have Shelly as my friend. Uh, we were actually friends for three years before we even started getting romantic. Um, and um, I think that's a good way to proceed, actually. Friendship is a, is a good foundation for that. But uh, I'm just so thankful for that. We also have shared life with these two other couples uh, for the last 20-some years. And um, uh, it, it's been just this thing where we speak into each other's lives. We have helped raise each other's kids. We've helped uh, mend each other's marriages. We've uh, supported one another through times of unemployment, you know, when money was tight and uh, all those things. I think that's how life is supposed to be lived. And uh, I'm so appreciative for it. But uh, yeah, I would also be remiss if I didn't point out my, my friend Paul Eddy, who is, uh, it's just been a very cool uh, friendship and theological partnership. We've just done a lot of work together and stuff. And um, you know, you were there, 1995, uh, Shelly and I uh, were going through the, the toughest time we ever had in our marriage. And it wasn't clear that we we're going to survive this thing. And it was one of the darkest moments of my life. You've seen my ugly. <laughs> You've seen me in, in the worst spot that you could be in. When, uh, I remember just one time in my office, I just imploded. I just ripped a book apart. I was like so you know, caught. I was just so... It, didn't, couldn't see my way go forward or whatever. And you were there. And, and, and what was, I think, really brilliant about it and godly about it is that um, you weren't, you know, there's a balance there between, on the one hand, you know, encouraging covenantal, you know, for better or for worse. You know, don't, don't bail on this thing too quickly. But you didn't do it in just like, here's a rule you have to obey. You also were on the inside of my pain. And, and see, it's when... The person's on the inside of the pain that they get the right to speak about the pushback. Mm -hmm. And if you get the pushback, but they're not on the inside, it just makes you want to resist more. And that's something you can only get when a person's that deeply inside. So, Paul, I love you, and I thank you for being there uh, through all the moments of life. But that one in particular was a lifesaver, a married saver. It's an honor, man. Mia Moore. All right. It also helped the book was Augustine you were with. <laughs> I, I can't believe I got choked up talking about Paul. I just, <laughs> I, just I, I want to come up with an insult. Thank you guys. Don't undo the beauty that you just did, Greg. <laughs> but I must. It's you know, the vulnerability was really beautiful, and I think it's a beautiful reflection of what God intended for us as we relate to one another and how He wants to relate to us. And so, 
for our final question, because time always flies. So for our final question, I would love it, Greg, if you would just talk to the people out there who say, man, friendship with God, I just don't get it. Because they were raised with that picture of God that we've talked about of you tick me off, you're going to hell. You don't obey me, you're going to hell. And so it's really hard for them to enter into this beautiful, vulnerable friendship relationship with God. And so... Yeah, well, if the good news is, you know, obey me or go to hell, I think developing a friendship with God would be pretty impossible. Yeah. Because um, friendship has is, is got to be based on love and trust, not fear. Um, but I don't think that's the good news. I don't think obey me or go to hell is good news in any sense of the term. The good news is that God was willing to set aside all the blessings of, of heaven, all the blessings of being God, to become uh, a human being, enter into solidarity with us. And then to go to the point of taking on our sin and taking on our curse, our estrangement from God. He's experienced that. God did everything God could possibly do in order to make it possible for us to enter into a friendship, intimate, loving, saving, transforming relationship with him. And that's what the good news is. I mean, that's really good news. We can be liberated. And so I I, I think it all comes down to this. Um, And it goes back to the picture of God question. I think it's the most important question you could ever ask. The most important fact of your life, in my opinion, is what is your mental picture of God? Because your relationship with God will never, the, the beauty of your relationship with God will never outrun the beauty of your mental picture of God. And the beauty of your own transformation in your relationship with God will never outrun the beauty of your mental conception of God. So I think it comes down to this. Can we trust that when Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father, that he's telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Can we trust that God is as beautiful and as, as, as self-sacrificial, as other-oriented, as kind as Jesus reveals him to be? And um, I think everything hangs on that. Now, when you can really lock in that picture of God, um, it changes your view of everything, including how you read the Bible. And I encourage folks, lock in the picture of God. Whatever questions that creates for you, let it create questions, but lock this down and then try to answer the questions. So like hell, that's mentioned in the New Testament quite a bit. Um, but how do you interpret that? Uh, is, is it, uh, and I... Just find whatever you say about hell has got to be consistent with what you know about God. I mean, think about this. Is there anyone listening to this message, uh, podgregation or congregation, who would torture their child for all eternity for any reason whatsoever? Or allow someone else to torture your child forever because they did something or because they rejected you or whatever? If there is someone listening, I would encourage you to get who, who, think, who would say, yeah, I'd torture my kid for eternity. Talk to me, call us, and we'll get a therapist for you because that, that, there's something sick about that. Yeah. So here's a good rule to apply. If, if it's unethical for you to do or too cruel for you to do, don't attribute it to God because the truth is that God loves you as a child and every human being as a child infinitely more than we would ever love our own children. And so if you wouldn't do it, don't think that God would do it. And so that then you'd say, well, then we have to look at other ways of, of, of interpreting this. And the way I inter- see things is just this. God is, you know, Proverbs 8 says that uh, uh, whoever rejects me, talking about the wisdom of God, whoever rejects God and his wisdom loves death. God is life itself, love itself, joy itself, peace itself. Whatever is good and beautiful, God is that. So to reject God is to choose the opposite of that, and that is hell. That's hell. Um, and, and, and it ultimately leads to destruction, to death. So Jesus says in, in John 17, 3, uh, this is eternal life that people know the Father by knowing the Son. That, that is eternal life. That relationship, it's not a result of the relationship, it is the relationship. 
So to reject that relationship is to choose death. And eternal death, which I just take to mean it's, it's irrevocable death. There's no second chance on this. But I think God sends people to hell. People send themselves to hell. And, and I, what God does is he weeps over that, and he does everything that is metaphysically possible to keep that from happening, short of turning the person into a robot. Um, but but uh, God's not the one doing that. The choice is ours, not God's. Uh, so so it, it all comes down to, as we often conclude here, your mental picture of God. Make sure that everything you think about God, so much of our discipleship has just got to be about being a detective of our own mind to sniff out those ugly pictures of God. That, like what Paul found, is they're lingering there in the background. And, and, and to some degree, they will pollute your relationship with God and pollute the transformation and, and qualify the transformation that you can experience. Uh, the more beautiful and more pure your, your, your understanding of God is, your mental conception of God is, the more impact it has on you and the more impact it has through you. So lock it all in on Jesus. Lock it Amen. in. Thank you. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, congregation. Thank you, podrigation. We really appreciate you being here and just going through this stuff with us. We want to remind you that if you are in-house and you want prayer, we will have prayer partners up front for you. Please come and let them partner with you in prayer. If you're online, we do have prayer partners there as well. Tune into the Musecast on Tuesdays. Get connected with the gathering group throughout the week. And if you are going to be in-house next week and you've got kiddos, make sure to save your spot. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being here, tuning in. Be blessed, everyone. Thank you.